Oh, hi, it's Steph. Hi, Steph. How's it going? Um, it's going great. It's going great. How are you? Nice to finally chat with you. Yeah, it's. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, what I wanted to uh, talk to you about or get some advice about is uh, I believe you're kind of aware of the situation uh, with my father. Um, I'm having a really hard time um, trying to work out how to kind of confront him and engage him like in a conversation about my past and things like that. Um, right. I, I even just thinking about it now, I'm kind of, uh, you know, shaking and everything like that. It's obviously there's some kind of um, hurdle that I need to overcome there. Now, I do remember some things, but um, why don't you give me a, uh, a recap? And just as a reminder, just don't use any names. This may not go out as a podcast, and it's totally up to you, right? So you get a chance to listen, edit, and if you don't want to release it, that's totally fine. But um, just to make it easier, uh, if you could just, just give sort of the brief, uh, the brief, or as brief as you like, a history of, uh, of where things stand with your dad or, or where they've come from. Oh, sure. All the... Uh... The short story is that I have a crazy mother and my dad basically um, left me to be raised by her while he uh, worked away from home, so he wasn't really there. And um, I guess it wasn't until very recently that I realized this was a bad thing. I always was kind of on his side, so to speak. I thought, you know, well, if I could get out of here, I would too. But... Um, uh, I never until recently um, kind of realized that, you know, him leaving me there was actually uh, a pretty bad thing. Right, right, right. And um, your mother is traditional, like, bats in the belfry, doing cartwheels in, you know, God's eyebrow kind of nuts, right? And also has a cruel streak, if I remember rightly. Yeah, well, she's not religious or anything, but she's into all the kind of mystical rubbish. Um, complete, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. She, you know, believes in everything from kind of spiritual healing to homeopathy to, um, you know, she's complete subjectivist, uh, just completely irrational, totally crazy, that type of person. Right, but also does have a certain amount of cruelty as... Uh, people don't often understand this, right? I mean, I think you and I do that. Mysticism is a form of aggression insofar as it violates other people's ability to think even remotely clearly, and it puts forward things that are blatantly impossible, but then when you question them, there's a, an enormous amount of aggression that comes out of these people, right? Oh, definitely. Um, it's become very apparent, um, kind of, over the last few months when I, I've even tried to kind of talk to her and, um, you know, if I ask questions, she says, you know, you're interrogating me and, and things like that. So um, I think, I don't really think uh, she had like an influence on my thinking. Um, like religious parents often um, create religious children that they have, and they have to get over that. I mean, I, I never kind of bought into any of the stuff that she was selling, but uh, nevertheless, yeah, it was quite, um, quite strange growing up with her. I guess. Right. There is a um, 
a claustrophobic kind of intensity to these kinds of mystics as well, particularly women. And there is a, um, <clears throat> if she's anything like my mom, and I'm trying not to mix the two up, so just let me know where I go awry. But <clears throat> I think that one of the reasons I became more adept at psychology than most is that I spent an enormous amount of time trying to figure out what the hell my mom was thinking and feeling because it never made much sense to me. It was, you know, she'd get gripped by strange passions and then she'd dive into this and then she'd she'd love this person and then she wouldn't like this person and, and uh, her moods were just so incomprehensible to me that I think I spent a fair amount of time trying to unravel all of that, you know, like you never become a cartographer if you don't spend your whole life lost, you know, but if, if you do, at least your whole childhood, then you become pretty good at reading a map. Um, so does any of that sort of ring true? Again, I, I, because your mom sounds a little bit like my mom, I want to know where the similarity differences are so that I don't uh, conflate the two. Um, I definitely can identify with that, although I would say that instead of um, getting a psychological kind of understanding, I think it probably developed my logical skills, or my rational thinking skills right. uh, a lot more because, yeah, just trying to come to grips with, you know, some of the stuff that she believes in, you it, you know, I, just being exposed to all that bullshit just over time built up my kind of uh, logical skills and um, a lot of people describe me as, you know, quote, too logical mm. and see things in black and white and things like that. So um, I'm definitely further that way than the, the average person. I think that's got something to do with... Uh, something to do with her. Right, right. So you may be one of the small percentage of people who get not more black and white, but some shades out of this conversation at Free Domain Radio, because most people come here kind of goopy and they get solidified, but it may be that some of your edges needed to be sanded a little bit uh, in terms of uh, a rush to judgment and so on, because you had to be so alert and defensive with your mother that that, of course, may carry over into, like, if you see a hint of irrationality in someone, it may be like a pox for you. Oh, definitely. I think um, what I've learned about psychology at FDR has definitely kind of smoothed off the edges a bit. Um, it's given me some more kind of understanding into, like, the cause of irrationality. So, yeah, I definitely think that's true. Right, right. Okay, okay. And your mother did not grow into this over time. Was she like this? I mean, again, not, not to confuse the two, but my mother was always crazy, but was slightly less crazy when she was younger. I think that's definitely uh, true also, yeah. When, I mean, when I kind of think about um, my really early childhood, I don't remember any of this kind of bad stuff. Um, I think it's definitely uh, increased over time, and I mean, she was in a, a really kind of crappy marriage, so I think she kind of found some solace in kind of this uh, ridiculous world that she lives in and certainly even after the divorce I think she, it, it kind of um, you know it kind of poured into the gap that was left in her life so I think it definitely increased over time. Now I'm gonna just pause you for a second uh, I just uh, wanted to ask you what you meant when you said she was in a crappy marriage and, and I, I understand what crappy marriage means so uh, what I mean by that is that um, it sounds, um, the way that you phrased it sounds a little bit 
passive. Whenever I hear people uh, talk about their parents, I'm always alert to uh, when they may be speaking their parents' story, their parents' mythology. And she was not in a crappy marriage. She chose a crappy marriage, right? Yeah, that's that's totally right. Um, you're completely correct for pulling me up on that. Um, uh, I've often corrected her in the same way, so I, I can't believe I actually said that. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons that parents are so good at manipulating children, and in my more cynical moments, one of the reasons I think that most people have children, is that children don't have any real understanding of their parents' lives before they, the children, came around, right? Yeah. So whatever circumstances, whatever circumstances we see our parents in, it just seems like that's where they were born, that they, they had no choice in that any more than we did, right? Yep, sure, I understand that. Yeah, so for me, like, my parents split up when I was very, very young. I don't remember my dad being around. And so, of course, my mother, you know, talked very bitterly about my dad. And when I was a kid, it was like, well, she had a bad marriage or a bad marriage happened happened to her. Or, you know, the evil gods of mating paired her up with a bad guy and so on. But as you get older, you realize, of course, that our parents actively pursued the lives that they claim were inflicted upon them. Yep, um, yeah, I totally, I definitely kind of um, thought that way, especially about my dad, I think, more than my mum, I thought, you know, he's kind of trapped with this, you know, terrible woman and, you know, stuff like that, but I've realised recently that uh, that's not really the case, you know, he, it was, you know, his decision to do it. Sure, I mean, they, they could have... Uh, they could have married anyone. They could have not married anyone at all. They, you know, could have anything could have happened, but they chose each other, right? And and nobody had a gun to their heads, and nobody forced them, and so on. But of course, the way that people who are immature or narcissistic or whatever, the way they deal with their mistakes is they say the mistake happened to me. You know, <laughs> I was, you know, of course I had to turn to mysticism. Uh, this is your mother's story, right? I had to, I was in an unhappy marriage, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, well, you chose to get in it, so why didn't you choose to get out? But they just portray themselves as people without choice. And the problem with, with that, and the reason I wanted to just pause here for a second, was that you said earlier that your training or your habits were more towards abstract rationality rather than to psychology? Oh, definitely, yeah. But it's, uh, it would seem to me that if your parents portrayed themselves to you as people who were victimized by life, then psychology would be a great enemy for them. Um, yeah, that's true, definitely. So it's possible, it's possible, and I remember you saying this earlier on in our conversations, uh, not, not uh, live, but it's certainly possible that you have a perfectly strong ability and curiosity with regards to psychology, but that that was a great enemy of your parents. And again, my mother hated psychology with a passion. I mean, she, she was just always virulent and vehement, you know, like, don't psychologize me, you know, this psychobabble. And any time that uh, you would attempt to, to, to ask about motives uh, or ask about uh, anything to do with, uh, with responsibility that may not be conscious, 
there was just an attack right upon that i don't know if that was the same in your household but you may have been and i'm guessing you probably were explicitly or implicitly actively discouraged from psychological thinking um that it definitely fits i can't specifically remember that from my childhood but i can actually remember it uh recently i mean a few months ago i was kind of talking to my mum about uh, being in therapy and stuff and she kind of said well you know make sure that you're you're focusing on the present make sure that you're you're you know you're not getting stuck in the past don't worry about the past it's not going to help you and stuff like that so it was obviously a kind of a big defensive reaction kind of hoping you know, I wasn't going to uncover stuff about her I guess right when she says it's not going to help you what she really means is <laughs> it's not going to it's not going to help her yeah right. <laughs> quite the opposite right yeah. and of course if you become if you become psychologically sophisticated and you are i mean as you go through this conversation as as you become psychologically sophisticated you are less susceptible to mysticism, right? I mean, Christians are the least psychological people on the planet because once you understand projection and you understand transference and countertransference and you understand the unconscious and you understand the power of all of the complexity of interactions that goes on, then mysticism becomes less of an option, right? Because mysticism is the projection of your unconscious or your myth-making capacities as a human being into the world. And so when you become psychologically aware, you begin to withdraw those projections of your craziness into the world. You deal with it as a psychological thing, and you no longer have a place called mysticism or spirituality or religion or patriotism or whatever to put all your craziness. You have to deal with it as your issue. So for sure, your mother would be hostile to psychology because that would make her responsible for her life and would also cause her to question her mysticism, which would be highly destabilizing for her, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. I've kind of, uh, I've definitely given up the relationship I have with her. I mean, it's uh, it's completely over. There's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind about that. So, um, right. That's that's not not really a problem for me. The the issue I'm having at the moment is with my dad, which is kind of a, a whole different ball game for me. Right. There's and the reason I wanted to talk about your mom was just so that we can put. Um, or at least so I can I can refresh myself and to anyone who may end up listening to this to refresh myself sort of about uh, who your dad left you with. And in every abusive family, there's always the one that got away. And the one that got away is is the silent partner of the abuser. So if you've got, you know, the stereotypical, raging, alcoholic, drunken, abusive, violent dad. Then there's the long-suffering, martyring woman who, you know, does her best and blah, 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 blah. And she's the one who gets away. Right, so recently yep. we had conversations about this with a couple where the woman was talking about, oh, you know, my dad is this, but my mom is that, right? And there's always one that gets away in terms of the, the blame or responsibility we place upon the uh, terrible things that happened to us as children. And, you know, a lot of what this conversation is about is focusing on the, the stuff that gets away, right? <laughs> that, that we don't normally think of as having the same kind of moral content uh, as other people we know are bad. And it sounds like in your family, your dad is the one that, that got away in terms of judgment, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It was, it was even more than just getting away. It was um, uh, definitely kind of looked up to him even. So right. it was more than just a, a neutral thing. It was, yeah, it was uh, 
really quite skewed in that regard. So he traveled a lot, is that right? Um, yeah, he works in uh, construction as a construction manager, and um, I live in Australia, obviously, and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the construction stuff that goes on here is kind of um, outside the cities on like purpose-built construction sites, so the people would kind of fly out and kind of live and work there and, you know, come back every couple of months or whatever. So a lot of his work was um, that type of stuff. So he was basically just uh, gone for months at a time. Wow. And how uh, how young were you when this started, or was that always the case? Um, as, well, from what I can remember, we kind of... Uh, we moved around a lot. I think I went through 14 different schools. I think it was 14, 13, 14. Um, wow, you got me beat. Yeah. <laughs> Up until, I guess... Jeez. We, we moved around a lot, and he took kind of um, city-type jobs. I guess the big change when he really started moving away would have been about 95. So I would have been about 10 years old. Um, when he yeah. when he started, um, I guess as the marriage got worse and he wanted to escape, so that that was probably the the catalyst for him taking more uh, site type jobs, and he's kind of done that ever since. But before that, he was like a, I mean, mostly a nine to five kind of dad. Um, I don't know about nine to five. Definitely, he spent a lot of time at work. Like he would. He would be there kind of late into the evenings and stuff like that. So I guess he was still kind of avoiding um, avoiding the marriage, but uh, on a part-time basis rather than a full-time basis, if you understand what I mean. I sure do. I sure do. So he was, uh, would you say that he was a workaholic? Yes, definitely. Okay. So um, can you, it's hard to obviously think back to these times in her life, but looking at it now with the eyes of, eyes of an adult, can you roughly picture how many hours he was working a week? I mean, was he working 12 hours a day on the weekdays and a day on the weekend, or like how did it work? When I was young, I can't really remember. It was definitely, definitely kind of really long hours. He um, you know, wouldn't see him in the morning, and he'd get home kind of late at night. So um, I couldn't really put a, a an hourly figure on that. It was. But he wasn't, sorry, he wasn't home for dinner, right? Uh, I can remember sometimes he was, sometimes he wasn't. So I guess it kind of changed over time and and stuff like that. Um, And uh, what about the weekends? Sorry, go ahead. I think it probably uh, got worse over time. So maybe he was more around for dinner and stuff when I was younger. And as I got older, it would become less and less until eventually he was kind of not there at all. And I'd only see him every uh, three or four months or whatever. And uh, uh, you're an only kid, is that right? Oh, no, I have a younger brother too. A younger brother, okay, okay. And how how younger is, how much younger is he? He's three and a half years younger, so which would make him 19, I think, this year. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, so then as you got older and starting around 10, your dad began to, began to like absent himself for months at a time from the house, and he would then send his money back to your mom, and did your mom work at all? No, she didn't. And did she ever work, do you know? Uh, not really, not ever since they kind of got married. They had me not long after, I think maybe a year or two after they got married. Um, right. It was a, a, a point of contention, actually, with my dad. 
my mum was kind of raising us as we were small children. And then once we were getting older, my dad kind of said, you know, come on, you know, pick up the slack, get a job, start right. working. And right. then she decided to go to university to get a degree. And she did women's studies. Right. Be yeah. careful what you wish for, Daddy. You just might yeah. get it right. It, she spent eight years doing that. And wow. So, so she's obviously quite intelligent, right? No, she's not at all. <laughs> but eight years in university? Did she get like a PhD or what? No, that was for the bachelor's degree in women's studies, a three-year degree. Oh, 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 okay. So, Sorry, so I take quite, back the whole bright thing. Okay. Quite the opposite, yes. And then after that, she, yeah, she still didn't want to get a job really, and um, that's probably when her hypochondria started kicking in. So oh, that dear. was, yeah, that was kind of the next reason why she couldn't do it. The similarities are just eerie. It's like it's like we got the same damn mother, you know. Just one was printed in Germany, and one was printed in, uh, say, like we shipped the specs over and and boot up the same one over in Australia a couple of years later. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, so she got hypochondria or became hypochondriacal, and uh, like chronic fatigue syndrome and Epstein Barr and all this kind of nonsense. Or so something more tangible? Uh, all sorts of stuff, like ridiculous stuff. She was kind of she could catch diseases just by hearing about them. Like if, right. she heard, if she heard somebody had sleep apnea, then she would develop sleep apnea. And um, she would, she, she kind of has a real love-hate relationship with the medical profession because she would go to doctors, but she'd go to kind of five, six, seven, ten doctors until she found one that would agree with her that she's got what she's got. Right. So she'd kind of hate all the ones that, you know, said, no, you're fine. But then yeah, hang on. I am vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. And then hang on to the ones that kind of confirmed what she had. And did she have a love hate relationship with her own father? Was he in the picture at all? Um, yeah, definitely. I don't think, from how she speaks about him, she didn't like him at all, really, growing up. She definitely kind of uh, took her mother's side um, in that regard. She was kind of the poor, hardworking mother that had to put up with, you know, a a bastard of a husband, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Okay, and um, so then, um, did, is your dad still with your mom? No, they they split, is that right? Yeah, they're divorced. They've been divorced for a few years now. And what was the cause of the, what was the precipitating factor in the divorce? Oh, actually, my dad uh, went to see a doctor. He was feeling uh, really... Really, really stressed out, high stress job, and um, occasionally he kind of he could kind of feel it in his chest and things like that. And so he went to the doctor, and you know he got tests, and his stress levels were off the roof. And uh, it was quite funny because he he had to monitor it. So so when he went kind of back up on site to work, uh, the doctors there would test him, and he would be fine, and they'd say, you know, what's going on? There's you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. But then when he'd come back down um, to the city, when he was dealing with my mother, his stress levels were kind of through the roof. Right. And um, doctor said to him, basically, whatever's stressing you out, you're going to have to get rid of this. Otherwise, you're going to be dead before the end of the year. Wow. It was, it was that serious. And then he kind of thought, shit, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time to do something about this. And that's kind of what precipitated it. 
And that is astounding from the outside, right? I mean, it may not feel that way from the inside. Oh, it, but th- it was completely, yeah, shocking. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that was his kind of reaction to the, to the marriage and everything. Sorry, uh, what's shocking for you in that? Oh, shocking, I guess, considering the, the job he's got, you know, it's a very high-stress job, and he, he handles it, you know, without a problem, but um, just... No, that's not what I meant by no. shocking. Okay, what did you mean? Uh, although I can certainly understand what, what you mean, but what I meant by shocking was... Your ears aren't too sensitive, right? You don't mind if I cuss a little. You'll, you'll survive, right? You're an Australian. It's no problem, right? Exactly. <laughs> Nothing I can't say that <laughs> you haven't heard, right? Okay. Um, what's shocking to me is that your father, who I'm guessing is not in his 90s. What is he, late 40s, early 50s, mid 50s? Uh, mid 50s, yeah. Mid 50s, okay. So that's that's... A middle-aged man. He's not old by any means yet, right? Yeah. So this man has had measured doses of your mother. And by measured, it means he's had months off at a time, right? He's had measured and controlled doses of your mother when she has had no primary authority over him at all when he's had the freedom to leave the marriage at any time and he's only had her for some months a year, right? Yep. And look what that minor exposure relative to you and your brother, that minor exposure to your mother in a non-hierarchical, in a non-hegemonic, in a non-power structure relationship did to him. Yeah. And I bet you, dollars to fucking donuts, I bet you that nobody in your family said, oh my God, what has this done to the children? Oh, that's definitely true. Although, um, there's definitely something else at work that might have obscured that, not try to make excuses, but um, my mother is definitely kind of the propaganda machine of the family. Um, my extended family, I only have it on my mother's side, I don't have it on my father's side, so there was always kind of a, a partisan support for her, so um, I don't think they were, they, they particularly got any objective information about how my dad was doing uh, in regards to any of this kind of stuff. Um, sorry, um, I'm just, I got a little bit lost there. Uh, which either means I'm confused or you're being defensive. doesn't matter which. We'll figure it out, right? Yep. And when I say you're being defensive, I don't mean consciously or anything, yep. right? But but uh, I'm not sure what your extended family would have to do with this. Like this this, this shocking bit about that I'm sort of talking about. I'm not sure. Like the person I'm talking about is your dad. Yep. Right, who would look down and say, well, if I spend six more months around your mom... I'm going to be dead because she is so unbelievably stressful to live with. Yeah. And I've had much less exposure to her than you have, right? Yeah. And she has no power over me in the way that she has power over you. So it must have been much worse for you than for me, and I'm almost dead. Uh, Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I 
Yeah, when you let when me you said... let me analogize it one more way, just to be completely redundant, right? Yep. Let me analogize it one more way. So your dad finds out that he has radiation poisoning because it turns out that there's a big nuclear reactor underneath your house, right? But he was gone for months from that house, but you were living there permanently. Yeah. And children are more susceptible to radiation poisoning than adults are, right? Smaller yeah. bodies, developing bodies, hormones, and so on. And so your dad would then get this diagnosis and say, well, your doctors would say, look, my God, man, there's something radioactive in your house that's going to kill you. I mean, if I was, I mean, as a father, the first thing that I would think about is, my God, how are my children? Right, so I'd say they grew up not knowing any of this, and you know, I've seen the effect the radiation poisoning is having on me, and no one thought to ask how this poisoning had affected the children if it almost killed your dad. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean by that is shocking. I mean, if you if you read that story, right, that the dad nearly died from radiation poisoning and nobody ever got the kids tested or even asked them how they felt, wouldn't you be kind of shocked? Yeah, definitely. That's the kind of shock that, of course, you're trained not to feel, right? And it's easier to feel from the outside, right? It's not my family, right? Yep. <laughs> You'd be shocked about things in my family that would be like, oh, yeah, that's the way it is, right? But yep. that's sort of why we all need each other, right, to remind us to be shocked, right? <laughs> to remind us to be appalled by these things and not to take them for granted, right? Yeah. So when, when I sort of say that, when I say that it's shocking that the stress that nearly killed your dad, that not one person in the family ever asked you and your brother how you had dealt with it or how you were doing with it, does that strike an emotional chord with you at all or is it just an interesting perspective or... Um, when I was talking about extended family before, that kind of um, flew on from when you when you said family even now, and um, to me there there was kind of no uh, kind of third party family that wasn't kind of behind my mother's propaganda, if you know what I mean. So there wasn't um, there wasn't kind of family members that were neutral in a situation that would have even heard the story. Um, the only person that would have really been aware of it is my dad himself. There wouldn't have been other other family members that would have been aware of it. Right, okay, okay. And that was a little bit confusing to me, and, and I totally understand why you thought family like extended family, yep. but we're sort of talking about your dad. Yep. Uh, now, when you were struck down by the psychological equivalent of what struck your dad down in terms of his heart problems... It's, it takes a, a lot of work for your dad, or uh, we'll just talk about your dad, other family members included, but I understand, as you say, they're all propaganda robots run by your mom, but it would take, it take, it would take a lot of work to not associate these two things, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. You guess so? Um, well, I wasn't. When kind of I really kind of fell into my depression, I wasn't living with my mum at that stage. I was actually living with my dad at that stage. But sorry to interrupt. That I mean, your dad was also away from your mum for months at a time, right? When he also had his heart problems. Yep. So yeah, okay, yeah. 
So, I mean, the, the proximity, the damage is done, right? By the time you've been around this kind of toxic personality for years or decades, right? I mean, the, the damage is done, right? So, um, a couple of years ago, your dad faced a kind of physical death, right? And the, 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 the blame was placed, or the, the proximate cause was, was, was the responsibility for that was placed entirely at the feet of your mom, right? Yeah. And then when you faced a kind of spiritual death more recently, nobody made this connection, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, do you see that that would be kind of hard to miss? Uh, yeah, I guess so. So, there's not a lot of innocent people here, <clears throat> other than you and your brother, right? I mean, it's kids, right? Yep. When I sort of mention it now as an obvious correlating factor or, or similarity of, of uh, dysfunction... Does it, uh, does it, how does it, does it, that knowledge, does it, does it make you feel anything or, or is it mostly just a, a sort of intellectual connection? Um, I, I guess I definitely get the intellectual connection and the emotional one, it's kind of there. I guess uh, I'm resisting it in some way. Um, well, sure. I mean, you're trained to, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you're not. You're not supposed to make this connection. This is heretical, right? This is blasphemy in a way. Yeah. So you said that there was a feeling there that you feel that you're resisting, but what is the feeling? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm trying to kind of hold on to the, the, the kind of the ideology of my dad, like what I, I thought he was. Um, this is probably the root cause of why I haven't been able to confront him because although I completely see it on the intellectual level, there's there's something that's stopped me from kind of absorbing it emotionally to to kind of have that certainty to, to go forward with it. Sure, sure. I understand. And that was a very, very good way of not telling me what your feeling is. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well done. I mean, that was really good. I was almost like, yeah, that's okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure what the maybe fear. I kind of, I'm afraid of what will happen if I, if I kind of bring this up. Um, well, yeah, I'm, uh, not... I'm gonna, I'm gonna just. I'm sorry to ask you what you feel and then interrupt you right away, but. Um, the, the challenge when something like this has remained obscured for us is that when a truth is revealed in a family that has a lot of secrets, the first feelings that we often get, in fact, almost always get, is not our own feelings, but the feelings of the person that the secret would hurt the most. That okay. knowledge of the secret, right? Okay, so perhaps it's his fear... Yeah, you are not afraid of the truth, right? You, yourself, are not afraid of the truth because you haven't abused a child, right? Yeah. So you have nothing to fear from the truth, just logically, right? Yeah. But your dad, on the other hand, has a lot to fear from the truth. Yep, okay. Right? Like, if you and your dad are digging in the backyard for fun and exercise, 
but he's actually buried a body in the backyard, you're just going to be whistling while you work, right? But he's going to be sweating buckets. Yeah. Right, so when we start yeah. digging around in the backyards of our own history to find the, where the bodies are really buried, we feel, obviously, there's a certain amount of trepidation because it's change and it's, it's new, but we don't feel fear in that way because we are not we've not committed crimes okay does, does that make sense yeah that makes perfect sense so the reason that you probably feel some fear and the resistance to it is because your dad knows that he has done great wrong to his children he knows that yeah. Right. I'm not saying he wakes up every morning and sings it to himself, but he knows that. And he is um he's very afraid, obviously, of you knowing that. Because when you know it, he has to face it. And he's spent his life not only not facing it, but creating that capacity for crime, right? Because he married yeah. your mother voluntarily, had children with her and so on. And then left yep. them with her. Yep. So, the emotion that you feel, there is, obviously there's some, some fear and so on, but I'm not sure that I would describe that fear as your emotion. Okay. Is there anything else that uh, you feel in the light of this revelation? about how a toxicity that almost killed a grown adult, a toxicity that virulent that nobody ever asked you how you were doing even when it struck you down. Um, I'm not sure, really what I, I really am kind of experiencing is kind of fear and anxiety. I can't really um, feel anything that would uh, possibly kind of be my own genuine emotions rather than his. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Let's try taking it from this and, you know, tell me if anything just feels weird or wrong, that's no problem, we'll stop. But let's look at it from this angle. I'm not going to use the dingo got my baby thing, but let's um, let's talk about... If you read, just imagine, it's a reading in the newspaper, and you read about a dad that was uh, uh, on, with his, his, his little kids, he was taking them for a walk in the woods, and they were uh, 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 some sort of cougar, I don't know if you've got cougars in, a bunch of dingoes, okay, let's go with dingoes, right? So a bunch of dingoes uh, come across, Sorry? You couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I tried. You know, the gravity well <laughs> of Australian stereotypes just sucked me right in. I'm sorry. but um, So uh, you read the newspaper article about a father who has uh, little children, a bunch of dingoes, uh, racing after them. And what he does to slow the dingoes down is he puts his children, he throws his children down, and, you know, they can barely walk, right? But he throws his children down so that he can get to safety. Yep. And how would you feel if you read that story? Angry. I think so. Yeah. 
and and why? Because it's a pretty disgusting thing to do. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. And how would you feel if it was only one dingo? Still pretty angry. Well, more, right? Yeah. How would you feel if it was only one dingo and the man had a gun? Yeah, okay, I see where you're going. Yep, definitely. And how would you feel if the man, not only there was only one dingo and the man had a gun, but the man had brought his children out to where he knew the dingo was? All right, yeah, this is definitely a different kind of perspective on it for me. Yeah. So uh, what's, I, uh, what is your thoughts on that story, on that reality? Well, I, I completely understand it, and now I feel like I should feel angry, but I still... I still don't really have that um, that emotion that I can kind of consciously feel. I guess the the fear and the anxiety have kind of overridden that. So, oh no, I understand that, of course, yeah. and that that that's you know there's everybody has this uh, belief you know in psychological questioning or work that that we all have some big emotional boo ha ha whatever and then we're fine. But that's I mean that's not how it works, right? Um, yeah. But. Uh, um, Let's let's look at it another way, right? So let's imagine that you have uh, children, right? Yep. And you um, you drop them off at your parents' place because you want to go see the game. You drop them off at your mom's place. Yep. Because you want to go and have some drinks. Yep. Is that a wise thing to be doing with your children? Uh, definitely not. It, that definitely uh, wouldn't happen. Well, what if you did do it? And you were driving away, and your children were crying out your name and didn't want you to leave, and your mom was cranking up the old crazy at them. Um, I feel terrible, I guess. Too guilty and... Um... Yeah, uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine myself doing something like that, but yeah, I guess it would be um, a lot of guilt and stuff like that. Now, can you imagine what sort of person you would be if that seemed like a really, really good idea? Yeah, a sociopath, basically. Yeah, like if you did not feel guilt, if you did not feel remorse, but you felt that leaving innocent, helpless children with a lunatic that you couldn't stand and that you needed to get away from because you got chest pains because she was so horrible that giving her children to play with while you went off and did your thing, that that would be a... that, that you would have no problem with that? You would not feel guilt. You would not feel shame. You would not feel... You would not lie awake. You would not wake up at 2 a.m. and think, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah, okay. I'm starting to understand it, I think. Yeah, that is pretty terrible. That is pretty terrible. And there's two things that are terrible. I mean, there's more than two, but just emotionally, right? And this is why it's confusing. There are two things that are terrible. One is that you get what a terrible thing that would be to do to children, right? At yep. least with a dingo, it's a quick death, right? Yep. But it's a terrible thing to leave children in the care 
of a monstrous and toxic woman like your mother. That's terrible in and of itself when you imagine how you would feel if you did that. What's even yeah. more terrible is trying to comprehend the personality, for want of a better word, of the person who does that for years without remorse. And the moment, you see, this is the, uh, this is the there is the third worst thing here, because, you know, we might as well go for a hat trick, right? <laughs> but the third worst thing is that the moment that your dad's health was threatened, what did he do? He got out. He acted decisively, didn't he? Yep, he hit the eject button. So he doesn't have much problem figuring out his own self-interest, does he? Uh, No, not at all. Right. So it's fine to leave helpless and dependent children with your mother for years and years and years while he takes off, but and not leave her and not get his children to a safer place and not protect them from this. But the moment that his health is threatened, bam, he solves the problem right quick, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So your interests, your health, your sanity, your security, your happiness don't add up to anything for him. But the moment that his health is threatened, he acts, boom, immediately. That's as fast. He didn't act twice as fast when he was diagnosed. He didn't act to protect you. In fact, he acted to endanger you. Right? And then we could say, well, maybe he's just got no sense of self-protection. But the moment that his own interests are threatened, he acts right away. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this is definitely a very new perspective for me to see it from. I never even considered it in uh, that type of way before. And uh, what, uh, what is the, what, how is the knowledge coursing around your system? What is it, uh, what is it up to? What is it doing? <laughs> um, I, I guess the anger is starting to uh, come up now. Um, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's one of those situations where kind of anyone listening to this is kind of shouting at the bloody the MP3 <laughs> player. You know, it's so bloody obvious, so bloody obvious. But yeah. Have you uh, had that? Ex- getting it. Sorry, have oh, you had that experience time. when you listen to the other listener conversations? Oh, absolutely. Isn't it funny? Yeah, I feel that they're kind of doing it to me, and it's taken me 48 (laughs) minutes to to kind of realize it. There's nothing so humbling, right? And I look, I've I've been in this, the the chair that you're in, I was in for like three hours a week for for two years, right? So I know what it's like to to sit there and stare like a drooling idiot into the blindingly obvious. So (laughs) I know, I mean... I think I can do it with people because I'm incredibly humble about it myself. And, and this is not yeah. because you lack any intelligence. You have a formidable intelligence, but uh, you're just trained not to see it, right? I mean, you just this, yeah. you are not allowed to see this. Yeah.
Well, I guess, I guess it kind of make it a lot easier for me to bring it up with him now. Now that I can uh, see it more objectively. Right, and um, I am not uh, even remotely going to do any kind of remote diagnosis because obviously you have uh, people who who are helping you with some of your social anxieties and so on. But, you know, my guess about a a way that would be fruitful for you to approach the social anxiety is I'm going to put forward a proposition here which may startle you or you may just laugh at as completely off the wall, which is fine. You just let me know if it works or not for you. But the reason that you're scared of the world is because you can't identify the real enemy. Right? So it's like if there's a tiger somewhere in the airplane hangar but we can't see a thing, we're going to be terrified, right? The moment we can see it, we can relax a little, right? Yep. Right? So if you've had a guy who consistently sacrificed you without a moment's thought for his own immediate comfort, and then the moment his interests were threatened, he acted immediately, that person is not a friend to your happiness. That person is not a friend to your self-interest. I would say that person would be pretty damn close to a mortal enemy. All right, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you can't... But if you can't identify him as a mortal enemy right? Then in a sense, everyone becomes an enemy. Yeah. Okay, so you think that if I resolve this, it may um, kind of ease the other problems that I've got? Well, I think so. I think that um, one of the things that will be very helpful for you, I mean, obviously, if you could... If you could instinctually and with a good degree of self-trust easily differentiate good people from bad people, then it seems to me that you would feel a little less anxious out in the world. Yep, sure. If you knew who to trust and who to avoid and you felt that you could do that relatively easily, then it would be easier for you, right? Because right now, that's kind of like a paralysis, right? Because if you have a story in your family, which of course you do, right, called Dad's a Great Guy, Dad loves his son, Dad, whatever, right? Yeah. But if he is in fact an enemy to your happiness, and if we put your mom in the crazy bag, then your dad goes into the cold and calculating bag, right? Yep, okay. Which is even worse. The one that gets away is always the worst one. It's not the best one. It's the worst one. It's the enabler that gets away. Right? So everything that you feel towards your mom is mild compared to what you really feel about your dad. Okay, yeah, that, that does kind of ring true for me. He identified that she was toxic, right? Your mom doesn't identify herself as toxic, right? She's hard done by, the doctors don't care, and, you know, whatever. The the universe is somehow against her or whatever, right? Your mom doesn't identify herself as toxic, right? Yeah. But your dad, very early on, identified your mom as toxic, right? Yeah. Your mom didn't think 
that she was a bad person. Your dad thought your mom was a bad person. Yeah. Your mom didn't force your dad out of the home so that she could be home to terrorize the children. Your dad, knowing consciously, not even unconsciously, knowing consciously that she was an incredibly destructive person, left innocent, helpless, dependent children with her alone, <laughs> right? Someone he couldn't yep. stand, he left his children with. So that's worse than just being a crazy narcissistic mystic, right? Yeah. So if the greatest enemy that you have is inside your circle of trust, the world is going to look completely terrifying. Okay, yeah, that makes does make a lot of sense. And if you have a if you have a snarling jackal pressed up against your face, it's kind of hard to see the world. Right? Yeah. Do you think um I should raise this kind of stuff directly with my dad or or not? Uh that's a that's a it's an excellent question. Um I would not want to be the one to give you that answer, which doesn't mean that an answer is not imminent, but tell me what it is that would be your ideal scenario for that. Like how would that turn how would that play out in a way that you would consider to be a successful outcome. Well, I guess um, putting all that forward to him, I would get some kind of response, and the response from him would um, help me get certainty of the situation one way or another. Whereas um, just kind of talking about it without confronting him, I can I can definitely understand it, but there's still that that you know that little bit of uh, doubt, however, wherever that comes from, the, you know, the lack of certainty, and that would make it harder for me to, to move on. Right. I certainly understand that, and that's a very honest and, and uh, answer. I hugely respect what you're saying. Again, without getting into the whole remote diagnosis thing, and this is all subject to your mulling it over, right? This is just sort of my, my thoughts about what I've, what I've heard yep. now and over the past couple of months that we've, we've interacted back and forth. Yep. If your dad is the kind of man who can leave helpless and innocent children to the tender mercies of a monster like your mother and to feel that that is a good and productive course of action, then yep. we know that he lacks any shred of empathy. Right? Okay. Now, we know that he doesn't lack any shred of empathy because he's mentally damaged in some way, because he certainly has empathy with his own health, right? Yep. So, when people in your life have no empathy for you and are more than willing to sacrifice your happiness and your peace of mind and your future and your soul for their own immediate gratification, I think going to them for validation is spiritually suicidal. If you go 
to a sociopath with a need that is elementally self-destructive because sociopaths will always manipulate and control you based on your need. Okay. Um, so what would your suggestion be for me to kind of get that certainty? Well, let's just pause this for a second because this is just my thoughts, right? And I don't want to, I mean, yep. I don't want to, obviously I can't tell you what to do. What the hell do you know? <laughs> I mean, what do you care about? What I, this is just ideas, right? But, yep. but what I'm saying is that <clears throat> what you're saying is that I need something from my dad which will hurt him terribly, right? Yep. Based on your history with your dad and the conversation that we're having now, do you think that your dad will take on enormous personal suffering for the sake of your preferences? Uh, probably not. Well, I'm perfectly happy to entertain the probably, but tell me where that has occurred before, even to a mild degree. All right, good point. Yeah. Uh, I do understand that, you know, the probably is completely irrational and illogical, but it kind of still exists there. Uh, look, that's fine. Me. That's fine. This is, a, this is like getting rid of God. This is like a process, right? I mean, this is this getting rid of these illusions or rather getting rid of these narcissistic fantasies that serve bad people is, is um, it takes time, right? So this is, this is not a transition black and white. But yep. uh, and and the question is, if you go to somebody who has never sacrificed his own happiness for the sake of your legitimate needs, and if we look at the history of your dad with your mom, and you know this, right? And it's your history, right? But I'm just saying that you need to look at that history very closely because what I'm trying to get you to start thinking about is self protection. Because if I had to identify one thing that you're lacking most, it would be a sense of self-protection. Okay. Self-efficacy, self-confidence, which comes from being ability, the ability to tell good and bad people apart and to not surrender anything, to not surrender any power to bad people. To not, okay. You show needs to bad people, they'll mess you up. All right. Yep. So with your dad, you need to think about, okay, so I need something from my dad that will be good for me, but unbelievably painful for him. So this is part of elemental self-protection, right? And I, it's absolutely tragic that you weren't taught this. There's absolutely no reason that you would know this. In fact, knowing it would be bizarre because of the family that you came from. So there's no shame in having to do some of the two plus two is four because I had to learn it and I'm just trying to you know, put it forward to other people as best I can. But you have to look at this with empathy to the other person and particularly empathy to their lack of empathy. Right, so you have to say, okay, I'm going to bring something up with my dad that is going to cause him enormous suffering. 
and I'm going to ask him to put my needs ahead of his. So because the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior, you can predict the outcome of that with mathematical certainty. Okay, yep, I'm, I understand that. So what's the outcome? So the outcome is that I'd most likely be uh, manipulated and probably not get what I was after in the first place. Well, I would guess that it's not just a question that you would not get what you were after in the first place. So it would perhaps, uh, I'd go backwards, it would, it would get worse. I would um, be infused with more kind of mythology about the situation. The certainty that you seek would be further eroded, and perhaps catastrophically so, by your father. Okay. That, that does make sense. Right. And again, this is just, there's, again, no reason you know this. And again, I'm sorry for putting you through such, such basics. They're only basics because we're taught so badly, right? I mean, if we're locked in wheelchairs for the first 20 years, it's hard to walk, right? Yep. But what I'm trying to get you to, to understand, and I know that you have more than enough intellectual capacity to grasp, but it's just hard to pound it into our hearts, is that you have, you know, a flickering flame of a true self, of a soul, right? That you need to protect that from dangerous people because you have been raised to serve the needs of others. You have been raised to, to not have needs of your own, right? I know that's the case with your mom and it seems to me it would be logical for that to be the case with your dad. So you need to think about evaluating other people and recognizing that going from the axiom that people do not change is a very, very healthy place to start. Okay, yep. And because people don't change, and I know this is me trying to change the world, saying that people don't change. Don't worry about that paradox right now, because right? you're changing, right? Yeah. Right, but, but you're changing because you're in motion, and you're changing because you asked questions at the very beginning of when we began to converse, right? Yep. So, so the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, and the older that someone gets, the more certain that becomes. Yep. And after they have harmed the innocent, they don't come back. So what I'm saying is that when you have needs with regards to your father or people like your father, and your instincts will tell you this as you begin to get more in touch with them, as you peel away the mythology that keeps your instincts at bay or keeps them confused or dulled or distant, yep. that... When you, if you go to your dad with a confrontation, you are fundamentally asking him, Dad, put my needs ahead of yours. Why would he start now? Okay, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. And I also guarantee you that if, you, if he perceives that you are attempting to cause him pain in any way, shape, or form... How is he going to react? Uh, defensively, probably. And defense for him means what? Attacking me, perhaps. Well, you're the son, you tell me. Um, yeah, I guess that would be the situation. Or or shifting of 
um, the blame or something like that, some type of uh, manipulation. Or for sure, yeah, for sure, for sure, right? Because your dad is obviously a very intelligent person. I mean, hell, you're very intelligent, and your mom, however slowly, did complete <laughs> a degree, which is almost like a real degree. So, <laughs> almost. A, that, that's a bit of an exaggeration, yeah, I think. <laughs> almost like a real degree in a modern status university. That's all I can give it. But, <laughs> but um, if people – like if, if, if I from the outside can put together a fair amount in, what, an hour or so, right? Yeah. Your family is very smart, right? So they'd have to be working pretty hard to keep this stuff at bay, Right. Your family is not in hot pursuit of the truth. Yeah. Right? They're not saying, I'll pay any price, I'll bear any burden, I've just got to find out what the truth is, right? Yeah. I mean, they're actively hiding it and hiding from it, right? Yeah. So, if that's where people are, if they're actively opposed to the truth, you know exactly what their reaction is going to be when you bring up the truth. Okay, um, maybe this is just me not getting it again, but if I am aware um, of kind of the manipulation and stuff that can take place, and I did confront my father, wouldn't I just be able to see it for what it is now that I'm aware of it, and wouldn't that um, kind of give me the, the certainty that I'm after? Yes, I mean, that's... You are absolutely getting it, right? I mean, I knew I called you smart for a reason. You are absolutely getting it. But uh, the question is, when are you strong enough to do that? And when I say strong enough, I just mean, because our, our parents are always gigantic to us, right? Until the day, I mean, they can be like 90 pounds in a hospital bed at the age of 150. They'll still be giants to us, right? Just, just yep. that's our first 20 years, right? So... Your dad is, let's just say, sounds like it, could be, well, you know, you know for sure, a master manipulator, right? And he also has all the power of parental authority, and he also kept you, a highly intelligent man, away from the truth, in fact, in hot opposition to the truth in some ways, for going on 24 years, right? Yep. So, he's got some power, right? He is your Mike Tyson, right? Yep. So, if you want to get in the ring, you got to train. Okay, yep. So, I would say, you know, not launch off tomorrow and say, I'm in, right? <laughs> and and training, training can involve your dad, right? Yep. But what I would do is ask little questions and see how you feel about his response, right? Okay. You know, ask him little questions about, you know, I don't remember much about this early part of my childhood. You know, what was I like? Or, you know, things which can't really conceivably be considered offensive, right? Yeah. Okay. And just see how you feel about his response. Have little needs, right? Don't go on big whole hog and say, I need validation for my childhood and and this and that, right? Because that's a big honking need, right? Yeah. If you want to find out if someone's a vampire, you don't offer them your neck, right? Yep. Just give them a little bit of blood and see if they dive on it, right? Yep. Say, ooh, look, I spilled a little red paint. See if they jump all over it, right? 
But uh, right. so, yeah. so you start with measured doses, right, to see how you – and the important thing is not how he reacts but how you feel about him reacting because I promise you that all of the instincts you need to be perfectly safe in this world are in you already. Yep. And they will tell you based on how you feel. Do I feel good? Do I feel valued? Do I feel respected? Do I feel that this person is... Like, here's something, right? <laughs> Take him to a bar to watch a game and then interrupt him while he's watching the game and see what he does, right? I mean, whatever the equivalent is in your relationship, I don't know. I'm just coming more with cliches, right? But yep. when someone really claims to care about us we should not be an interruption for them right i mean i don't mean never right but but for the most part we should not be an interruption for them right okay yep and so you can do lots of things to gauge all of this stuff without throwing your neck back and saying bite if you want it right yep And you can do that until you get some kind of certainty. Okay, yeah, that does sound like a, a much more sensible uh, way to go about it. Right. I mean, you know, there's always this talk about boundaries, right? And boundaries are like, you know, you, you meet these people and they tell you their whole life story in the first 10 seconds, right? Well, yeah. those are people who aren't testing the waters, right? Those are the same idiots who jump straight off a big hill into a water without checking whether there are rocks two feet below the surface, right? Yeah. Looks like lots of fun until there are rocks two feet below the surface, then it's a whole lot of mess, right? And so yeah. this is another way that this is just part of testing the waters, right? When you meet somebody new, uh, you know, you, you, you ask them questions and you monitor their responses. Say, how, do I, how does this person make me feel? Do I feel like they're interested in me or do I feel like, you know, when you're talking to someone at a, a party or whatever, and they're looking around the room the whole time. Well, I yeah. just don't spend that much time with people, right, like that. Because they're obviously kind of narcissistic and just looking for something better, someone better to talk to. It's like, go find them, right? Don't let me get in your way, right? And yep. it's just learning to get a sense of how we feel, right? Like if, I, if I'm talking to somebody for 10 minutes and they don't ask me a single question about myself, I have no more time for them in this life or any other, right? I don't mean you yep. right now, but, right? but I mean, it's just being able to gauge. You don't have to get, I mean, lots of people get involved in these big relationships, right? And they, you know, a year in or a year and a half in, they didn't know oh, it's not working out and so on. It's like, man, you could have figured that out five, you saved yourself 18 months and tens of thousands of dollars right here. Right? Five minutes, all you need, right? So it's yep. just learning how to test the waters and see how you feel. And that's how you will build up your confidence to go through the world with security and safety. Okay. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, that's that's definitely turned everything upside down for me. And I think. Uh, Excellent. Well, that's um, <laughs> that's what I try to do. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I see a lot a lot more clearly now. So yeah, thank you. Do uh, how was the? I know that this was a bit of a conversation that you were concerned about. Um, how how did it go for you? I mean, was there anything that you would have liked to have done differently, or for me to have done differently, or, or how did it go for you? Um, no, it was good. Um, I think, or the reason I kind of wanted to kind of confront this issue was because I, I, I didn't want to confront it in a way, and 
uh, I guess what I've learnt over the last six months or whatever is the things, um, the things that you don't want to deal with are the things that you really have to deal with. So um, definitely, when I um, when I I really kind of get uh, my the mythology and stuff challenged, although it it feels a little disturbing. I also know that it's really kind of the most important thing I can do in the long term. So, yeah, I, I think it was uh, very good in that regard. Okay, good. And and what was it like relative to your expectations? Um, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect because I was, I was quite confused um, about the whole issue, but you've definitely um, helped clarify it for me somewhat, which is uh, what I was hoping for. I don't know if that was what I was expecting because I, I couldn't really f foresee how that would happen, but um, it definitely got what I was hoping for out of it. I'm very, very glad. Well, uh, obviously, you know, keep keep us all posted. Um, I will compile this and, and uh, send you a copy so that you can listen. I personally think uh, that, uh, I mean, you didn't mention any names and it's a big country. It's a continent, in fact. Uh, but um, so if you were comfortable releasing this as a podcast, I would certainly be very happy about that. But have a listen to it first and let me know what you think. You can absolutely release it. I have no problems with that. That's very, very kind. I certainly do appreciate that. And uh, keep me posted, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. That's it.